Hello, I'm Tenny, and this is Not Defined by Endo. If you or someone you know and love has been diagnosed or is suffering from symptoms of endometriosis, then this podcast is dedicated to you. Each episode, I share my own experiences, interview health professionals and other specialists, and speak to those who know what it feels like to live with and fight an incurable disease. Please remember that I am not a health professional, so please always speak to your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or diet. On this note, let's begin. Imagine if you could send a sample of urine to your doctor and immediately find out if you have endometriosis. This would drastically reduce the appalling diagnosis times, am I right? Well, let's speak to Barbara again today and hear all about Endotect, a project she is currently working on with the University of Hull to detect endometriosis using urine samples. Hello, Barbara. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, thanks, Taniola. I really appreciate it. The first time I saw something about Endotech on Twitter, I was so excited. I was like, what is this new study and what is this about? Because we all know how difficult it is to diagnose endometriosis and how long it takes for people to go from experiencing their symptoms to diagnosis. So this is a really exciting one for me today. So I'll start with my first question. Can you please let the audience know today who you are, what you do, and how you got involved in this project? Okay. Um, my name is Barbara Ginn. I'm a reader in biomedical sciences at the University of Hull, and I am based in the Hull York Medical School. So I did a PhD in um, haematology and completely different from, from endometriosis. I was interested in mutations in genes and how they cause disease. And then I worked in Canada for four and a half years. And I did postdocs on gene therapy and another postdoc looking at modifying tumor cells to make the immune system kill them. I came back and worked at King's College London and there I set up my own research group and we were looking for proteins that we could use to develop vaccines against cancer. I worked in Southampton for a while and then I went to the University of Bedfordshire and in 2016 I came to the University of Hull. So my background and interest has been in haematology, in leukemia. But in 2010, um, I wanted to sort of spread my wings a little bit. And I was very interested in ovarian cancer. It's a difficult to treat disease and it desperately needs some new, new treatments to help improve things. And what we'd found was that the proteins that are unique to tumor cells that allow us to develop vaccines and target them, they have to only be present in the tumor cell. But that also means they're a really good biomarker. And one of the targets that we found in ovarian cancer is a really good biomarker for early ovarian cancer. And so we're studying that at the moment. And one of my colleagues said to me, why don't you work on endometriosis? You know, it's desperately in need of some biomarkers. And so we started a project looking at endometriosis and um, we had a fantastic PhD student called Leah Cooksey. And Leah's been working, you know, looking at the literature because of COVID. We had to change our focus and 
go very much more desk based. And Leah was working to look what has been done before. And it's quite a different way for a lot of us lab scientists to work. Instead of just jumping in the lab and getting on with it, we were sitting at the desk and going, well, what's been done before and what can we add to it? And then we started to um, look at patient samples. Are these proteins present in the urine? Are they uniquely expressed by people with endometriosis? And so that's how we've ended up where we are. Wow. It's so interesting <laughs> to see how you came into endometriosis because endometriosis is usually looked at as less important if if you know what I mean. I had someone say to me, you should be grateful it's not cancer, um, which of course I'm grateful that it isn't, but it sometimes makes endometriosis less important to people. Yes. So it's really interesting and I'm sure the endometriosis community is very grateful to you for, you know, coming into this world and trying to make a difference. I was just going to say there's so little funding for endometriosis research. I know that there are some great charities that are supporting endometriosis work and a lot of them like Endometriosis UK are looking at the stats and supporting people who have endometriosis, which is really important. And then we have some new charities that have been set up, um, such as the Endometriosis Foundation that's looking at diet more. But that lab-based research that we do, it's very difficult to get funding to do the work. And at the moment, I found some funding with the NIHR, which is National Institute for Health Research in the UK, pairing up with well-being of women and also some MRC funding. But other than that, it's just so difficult. So one of the things that we have been doing is sort of some local fundraising to try and get a little bit of money to support our work while we generate preliminary data and then go for these bigger grants that are available. Yes, this is one of the big issues with endometriosis, like you said, it's underfunded, which makes it under-researched. And this is why what you're doing and what what you're trying to do and the study you're working on is pretty important. So I want to talk a bit more about the actual study, Endotect. And do you believe that I found you on Twitter? You know, I, I put in the hashtag endometriosis like I usually do just to see who's talking about endo. And then I saw Endotect and I was like, hmm, interesting. What's this about? And I saw you and then, of course, reached out to you. So let's talk a bit more about the study. What exactly, I know you've explained briefly that it's about looking at the proteins in in urine and trying to figure out if it's a biomarker for endometriosis. But can you elaborate on that a bit more? What exactly are you looking for? What kinds of um, participants do you expect to be in the study? Where have you gotten so far? I just want to know everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would as well. <laughs> I'd be going, go and tell me more. Um, so at the moment, we've had, we've been really fortunate. We received a European Association for Cancer Research, Novasanis Award. And Novasanis have been very generous and provided us with their collie pea tubes. And so these are a bit like Femi pea. Oh, they're like a, a funnel that you can pee in. And oh. it just makes it a lot easier. And also when the tube is filled up with wee, any excess comes out the side of the tube into the toilet. And so the benefit of this is we can get first void. Right. And so some of the things that we need to do with Endotech now is look to see what time of day, what time of the month, 
um, whether first void or, or mid void is better and look at lots of different options. What we found is that we can differentiate between women with deep endometriosis and superficial endometriosis. So this means we can identify the people who should be going for a laparoscopy who need that as part of their treatment because they have deep endometriosis. And probably um, the next step would be something like an ultrasound. You'd have a, I've already had a chat with the GP about your symptoms, and then they would refer you off to a specialist for further investigations. If you have superficial endometriosis, then the best treatments for you are actually things like the pill, um, intrauterine devices, and um, treatments that are actually to do with stopping you from getting pregnant. And the problem with that is lots of people who have endometriosis would like to have children. And so it's not it's not ideal, but it's a first step in the process of just getting people to the right place in a timely fashion. Because I think the problem at the moment is it's taking eight years for people to get referred to a specialist, lots of visits to the GP, lots of pain. And certainly during COVID, a lot of the endometriosis clinics were shut down and prioritization was given to the cancer patient. And now we're seeing patients with endometriosis with much worse symptoms, much worse disease than they would have had had COVID not happened. So we know that endometriosis gets worse the longer you have it. And so hopefully if we can get people to the right place in a timely fashion, they have less symptoms and less problems, they'll get treated when it's easier to treat. Yeah, you're right. It's really important to, of course, um, diagnose pretty quickly. And another thing that I think your study will potentially help with if, you know, it's successful is that a lot of the times at the moment, the gold standard for diagnosis is laparoscopic surgery. And of course, that has its pros and cons because as much as we want quick diagnosis so that treatment can start. We also want to maybe have a better way of knowing if someone has endometriosis before going in there, because a lot of the doctors go in and say, this is just a diagnostic surgery, but it's actually still surgery and it's a big deal. So this is, I think this is quite important. So you mentioned that you already saw from preliminary findings that there's a difference in those samples between those that have superficial endometriosis and deep infiltrating endometriosis. Do you know if there's also a difference between those that don't have endometriosis at all? Are you able to find that information out? Or is it right now just if they have endo, all we can do is compare how bad it is? Or can we say there's no endo at all? Or there's endo? How How is that going yeah. so far? So we've now collected 156 uh, samples from endometriosis patients and that large cohort gives us an opportunity to split patients into different subgroups so we can split patients into those with deep and those with superficial endometriosis and then we can start to split patients based on where where they are in the menstrual cycle and also um, what treatments they're having. Um, so it's a lot of patient samples. All of those patients have been seen in the um, endometriosis centre at Castle Hill Hospital. Um, they've all been treated by our consultant surgeons who work in the endometriosis centre. So Jane Allen runs it and Keith Cunningham works with her. And prior to them, it was 
Kevin Phillips. So we've had these amazing clinicians who have been diagnosing all our patients. We've got consistency across the range. At the moment, we've only looked at patients with endometriosis to see how the test works. And what we're doing at the moment, my job in all of this, as I'm not a clinician, has been to collect the healthy donor samples. And so as of um, this week, we've collected about 52 healthy donor samples. And again, we're looking at time of the month. We're looking at um, what hormones people are taking so that we can directly compare to see how does that affect the test. So at the moment, a lot of, of patients have been tested, but the next phase is to look at healthy donors. Amazing. At the moment, do you need more participants in the study? Would that Will you benefit from that? Or do you have enough people that you're not working on the data? Um, we're now working on testing all of the urines that we've collected. So I have a few more uh, people that I'm talking to about being healthy donors. But at the moment, I think we, we're taking a bit of a breather. We're just going to um, have a look at what the results look like and see where we need to focus our attention. Because if we need more healthy donors who are on um, contraception or more healthy donors who aren't, then that's where we'll focus our, our energy. The test at the moment is costing us about £30 per person. So it's cheap, but it's not cheap when you're doing hundreds of samples. And then, of course, there's all the other work that goes around that as well. Yeah. So you've talked about the cost of, um, you know, this study. And we've also spoke about earlier how we have barriers to funding. How do you think we could raise more awareness and, you know, get access to this funding? Because there is funding. It's just where the money is going, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely money. Um, and there's lots of people who are super keen to help, you know, who really want to do something to make a difference. And I think that if there was, you know, a charity that said we focus on endometriosis research and we're going to help make a difference, that would be phenomenal. So at the moment, um, what I've been doing is it all started about three or four years ago. I started selling spider plants on the wall outside my house and I sell them for about 10p each and we just raised a little bit of money and then one of my neighbors gave me some other plants to sell and then my mum gave me some of her art to sell and so what you'll see on Twitter is all these pictures of all the art on the wall mm. and so between my mum and I um, we've raised over 1600 pounds for endometriosis research wow. at the University of Hull and all of the money that um, we're given goes straight into a um, charity account at the university so we can access it for the lab work but I you know whenever possible don't touch it um, and then we've had donations for, from other events the um, yellow ball was organized by the Hay Endo group so Hull and East Yorkshire endometriosis support group they can be found on Facebook there's lots of support groups for endometriosis uh, people who suffer with endometriosis and they're often on Facebook, absolutely phenomenal, you know, supporters of other women, other people with endometriosis. And they, ra they raised over £5,000 through having an endometriosis ball at the end of um, March and gave us £3,000 towards our research, which is just phenomenal. It makes such a huge difference. And at the moment, we work on a very tight budget, so we're incredibly efficient. Every decision we make is, you know, we sit there and very carefully think out exactly where we can get the most results. But 
um, I continue to, you know, look for places that we can apply for more support, um, you know, so that we can get these sort of big grants. And we were very lucky that the University of Hull awarded us £54,000 for our research. And now we've got a part-time technician, a part-time research nurse and money. We bought um, a minus 80 freezer that cost us £8,500. So now we've got somewhere to store all of our samples safely. And then um, we have more money to actually run some of the tests. So that's going to make a huge difference to what we can do. Yeah, that's impressive. It's exciting to see the way the community has come together. So like you said, you doing things like yourself, like selling spider plants with your mom (laughs) and the university giving some money and then the charities and communities. It's great to see that everyone's pitching in and everyone's trying to make a difference because it's really, really important. And every time... I do anything with regards to raising awareness. I just think of the little ones, the younger girls that are, you know, growing up and maybe are beginning to have painful periods. And I'm like, we're working. Don't worry. We're working. You know, I'm hoping that we can get to you quicker. Um, But so, yeah, well done. Thank you very much for that. I have one more question with regards to the study or the results from the study. So, if you're successful, I think the question also is usually how to pass this research and this information to maybe medical technology firms and companies that will motivate the industry to produce equipment, you know, for urine testing, make this available to girls and women on a larger scale. So how do you think that we can pass this information or this research? How do we you know, bridge that gap between the research world and the business world, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're already talking to companies who have different ways of offering tests like these out in the public domain. So we're just talking to a few companies about how that might happen. So there's certainly lots of interest, which has been great. And hopefully um, we'll find, you know, partners that we can work with that will help get this out into the public domain. I've had lots of women get in touch with me. I was on BBC Radio Humberside and also on on BBC Breakfast News talking about our research. And after that, we had over 200 emails from women, predominantly with endometriosis, saying, thank you for the work you do. How can we help you? And please let me use the test. (laughs) And so... You know, We're desperate. A, yeah, absolutely. I don't care what it takes. You know, please let me have a test. And I think it is desperate. You know, when you're in pain, you're, you're being told by the doctors perhaps that, you know, they don't think it's endometriosis and yet deep down you think it is. And it's incredibly frustrating because although laparoscopy is the gold standard for diagnosis, now it's not actually being recommended. So if we think, if the clinicians think that someone has superficial endometriosis, they're no longer recommending a laparoscopy because that comes with its own risks. You know, so a laparoscopy for deep endometriosis, where it will be part of the treatment, you know, and that's been quite a big shift. It might be worth people looking at the NICE guidelines for a diagnosis of endometriosis so that they understand what they um, should be able to expect from their GP when they see them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, a double-edged sword. The 
laparoscopy especially when it's just for diagnosis I've never I've always thought this is a bit drastic to just go in to find out but I also knew that especially according to the NICE guidelines before the change that it was a gold standard and that's the only way to truly know if you have endometriosis by looking in there getting a biopsy and testing um but yeah if we can have just something that is a marker that says you have a and with in addition to other things because i think what's important as well is now that i know about endometriosis sometimes i don't even i know that i'm not a doctor but I'm like, okay, tell me what you're going through. And I can almost piece things together. Of course, that's just like from a patient's perspective thing. And we really have to listen to our patients as well. But then having your tool as well, which would be, okay, now let's go medical and let's test and see if we have these markers and we can say, okay, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or prediction, we think that 80% you should, you have endometriosis. I think it's going to be a game changer for um, endometriosis patients. So thank you very much for all the work you're doing. And I have one final question for anyone listening today. What would you want them to take away from this conversation today? Um, We need to push hard to get the government and charities to fund research, lab-based research into endometriosis. We need to tip the balance because I think historically and still currently, more research, clinical research is done on men. And part of that is because men do not have the hormone fluctuations that women do. I think, uh, you know, medicine has been a male-dominated environment for a very long time. And now we look at our medical students and the majority of female, you know, there's definitely that shift there. And it's time for us to say, okay, you know, the basis of a disease. Now look at it in women. Now start looking at women's health. 1.6% of all funding in the UK goes towards, you know, reproductive health, which affects 16% of, of people. You know, we, endometriosis affects one in 10 people. That's 196 million people worldwide affected by endometriosis. And we still don't have a good way to diagnose it except with laparoscopy. And so, unfortunately, as other diseases before us, you know, we need funding to make a difference. And there are some amazing research groups in the UK and worldwide who work on endometriosis. And we'd all really appreciate a bit more funding so we can get on with this, you know, and make a difference. Yeah. Thank you so much, Barbara. It's been a pleasure pleasure. speaking to you today. And I wish you all the best with the project and I'll keep in touch and I'll also keep myself updated on the project. But thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Defined by Endo. You can learn more about the Endotech project by following Barbara on Twitter at The Chatty Scientist. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, rate and subscribe to this podcast for more episodes like this. Till next time, remember you are not defined by endo.